Welcome, thank you so much for joining us for another one of our online services here at Westmount Church. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Nathan and it is so good to have you join us today. Westmont, I have to say, we have so many exciting things in the works. I am so thrilled about it. Not only do we have a great sermon for you this Sunday, but next week we're going to be meeting all together. That's right, we're going back to the Extreme Movie Theater for a, a live service. We're going to worship together and hear the word preached and just have God move in our body like he did a month ago. We were thrilled to be able to do it then and we're so excited to be able to do it again. But not only are we going to have a service next Sunday, we're also going to have a baptism. That's, um, that's right, we're so thrilled about that. God is moving powerfully and we're so grateful to be able to um, celebrate as a body a baptism. I also want to say if any of you have been thinking about getting baptized and you were on the fence, this could be a great time to join in. It's never too late. There's no pressure. This You don't have to have everything together before you get baptized. This is a declaration of who Jesus is and starting a journey of walking with him. So we would love to have more conversations with you if you have if that's on your heart, you can let us know though. Send us an email at connect at Westmount Church and we'd love to start having a conversation about with you if this could be a great time to get baptized. As well, in our church, God has been moving in our home gatherings. We're even this Sunday, we're gonna show you some footage of a crazy thing that's been happening as one of our gatherings have been celebrating the Feast of Booths and God has been moving so much, not only in that gathering, but in so many more. And we're starting more, especially as we're going into the fall and winter, we're starting more and more home gatherings so that there's room for everyone. So if you're not involved in one and you want to be, also send an email to connect at westmountchurch.com and we'd be loved, we would love to help you get involved into one of them near you. But now, as we are about to move on into the sermon, why don't we just take a moment to pray and prepare our hearts for the word that's about to be preached. So if it's okay with you, why don't we pray right now? So God, we're just so grateful for this moment. Uh, we're so grateful for your spirit, how you pursue us constantly, how you desire to speak with us, how you desire to be in a relationship with us. We just pray that you would speak to us now in this sermon. You'd speak to our hearts. Pray this in your name. Amen. Celebrate good times. Come on. Okay, you all know the song. I know, you're, I'm crazy, put it all back on me, but who doesn't love a celebration? Who doesn't? You know what's amazing is the Lord uses that a lot for his own display of what he desires in our worship. And we're in the middle of it right now. Say what, Carrie? Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Sukkot which you'd hear the Jewish people say, a feast of ingatherings. It's one of three festivals right now that the Lord has asked 3,000 years ago. You'll find it in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy that his people would celebrate, read it, Leviticus 23, celebrate 
as you bring in the harvest so that the generations may know that all the kids who what kid doesn't like a party and what are we celebrating i want you to celebrate the time through the wilderness that you lived in booths tents sukkot means a booth a tent where i i provided for you god says and he brings in, he, he gives these stipulations for it with respect to leaves. Bring in all the leaves and the branches and, and put them together. And the Jewish people even now use willows and citron and myrtle and uh, uh, palms. And they put them all together and every part's needed because if one part's missing, it makes it void. Interesting. Because this feast is the most popular to God. It's not only one remembering it's the future in Zechariah 14. It's yet to be had. Well, Carrie, explain this to me. This is, this is going to be a seven-day feast. It's a seven-day feast right now with joy. Why? Because it's going to be in the marriage supper. It's going to be with bouquets around an unbelievable celebration where God is going to be with us forever, eternally. Well, He's with us now, but yes when our mortal bodies will become immortal. What a day that will be. But for now, he gives us this opportunity right now around the world that's being celebrated in religion, religious Jews and non-religious, they'll make these little booths. And for seven days, that's where they spend their time. Can you imagine? That's why I like, I like the idea of survivor. You know why? Because you got to survive in that tent for seven days. There's a strategy behind God's wisdom in that if all generations are together for seven days there might be a couple feuds or a couple couple uh ouch couple barbs but in that time you're going to come around you're going to fellowship you're going to love one another you're going to enjoy the great harvest that i've given you you're going to be thankful and you're going to be joyous it talks about it in deuteronomy 16 13 the lord says celebrate after the harvest is in after the wine press is done and the threshing floor is done, come in and celebrate. Bring joy. Be joyful at my festivals. This is a festival for me. Bring it all in and I will bless you, he says. It's a time of thanksgiving. I mean, North America has, we have our little Thanksgiving in October and the States has November. But the Lord has been doing this for 3,000 years and it's happening now in Israel yet again. If you Google it, you'll see so many different tabernacles and tents. And again, what joy has been ours even as children building forts or camping or being in that place. Why? Because the Lord wants to remind us that it's not in man-made dwellings. It's me and you communing and loving one another. And that's why this feast specifically is inviting everyone, a foreigner, a fatherless, a widow, it's to, to have that place full. Well, a couple in our community group had the idea to, to build the Sukkot. And so they took it one step further. And this is the joy. <laughs> this is the joy, church, that you have, Westmount. You get these creative ideas and we have a hard time keeping up with you. Um, but we were able to get some footage. I want you to see some of this where generations are coming together, but the couple says, I'm gonna open up and I'm gonna build a feast. And, and so other people in the group bring fruit, to lots of fruit and vegetables at the celebration. And all of them come together to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. Music is played. It's awesome. 
the idea of remembering and so often we forget but the Lord's remembrance is around celebrations even when he says to take communion do this in remembrance of me I mean yes there's this solemn thankfulness but there's a joy he says but Paul says it's a cup of thanksgiving this is new new the new covenant do this in remembrance of me and you proclaim my death until what until I come oh, so exciting and so as we're walking in the word and going through the word this isn't by accident where, where am I going oh I'm gonna weave it all together for you because I don't think anything is by accident in this whole course of this year to which we've been walking through the word together the power of the Word of God and the signs and the way he's speaking to us all together is amazing and so I was thinking as we walk because we're going to see what it looks like to walk with the Spirit today be led by the Spirit what does that mean because Paul spends a lot of his time in his letters trying to open this up more for us to understand walking through the word I was thinking of this can you imagine how Jesus would walk Think about that. I was sitting with Roger in the car and I was like, babe, imagine how Jesus would walk. Like everyone's Okay, maybe not. Maybe this. Come on, come on, let's go, let's go. Like we gotta pace, we gotta get in all those steps, all those steps. Can you imagine what the Lord would say to us? I'm really serious though. Imagine how he walked. So grace-filled, so gentle. So loving. Today, as we look into this, I want us to maybe reset with that aspect of remembering. And Roger's going to bring us in and set the foundation. And I'm going to pick it up at a divine spot where the Lord again is going to just unbelievably show me a miracle in itself. And then together, how we walk forward with the grace and the gentleness that sometimes, sometimes with the Lord, he has us just sit in the boat to be still and know that he's God. And sometimes he brings us out to the vineyard and shows us some things to remind him that I'm the vine and, and you are the branches. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And sometimes he brings us around a big table full of joy and feasting out of nowhere he comes to a house in Zacchaeus to say yeah let's go there so if you're open let's see where the Lord might want to take us by the power of his spirit let me pray father we're your kids we long to not only remember but to take that remembrance and and find joy find joy we know that joy is found in you and so Lord we just ask that you would speak to each of us individually right now wherever we are and that the creative nature of your spirit that wants to bear much fruit through us oh would do just that be fruitful so that we in turn may multiply a love and a joy and a peace for your name's sake, Jesus. Amen.
good to be with you again, Westmount. You know, I watched this documentary not too long ago. Carrie and I love watching documentaries. I don't know, we love the true stories, but it was about uh, Woody Allen and Mia Farrow who had this like star-studded relationship, this romantic relationship. Now this was a while before some of you young adults were even born, so, but, but hey, give me a minute here. So Woody Allen and Mia Farrow, they were in this long-term relationship, had a child together, uh, but Mia Farrow had adopted a, another girl whose name was Sunyi Previn. And, and they, she adopted her, and while she was in her teens, Woody Allen started a sexual relationship with her. Woody Allen started a relationship with her even though he was in a relationship with her adoptive mother, Mia Farrell, caused a break in their relationship. Many years later, he's being interviewed, Woody Allen is, and he's being pushed and he won't admit that he did anything wrong even though he like started having a sexual relationship with the teenage daughter of, of the woman that he was dating. Anyway, don't, don't get me started. And, uh, and the interviewer kept pushing and kept pushing and finally, finally Woody Allen said this one line and it sort of became famous. He said this, he said, the heart wants what it wants, as if that's a justification. Now what Woody Allen was talking about there is what scripture would call the flesh. And the flesh, scripture talks about, is one of the enemies of our soul, but, but scripture also talks about two other enemies of our soul. And we're seeing it in Ephesians, as we've been going through the Bible in one year. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, follow along with me in your Bibles. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions. This is Paul talking. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So that's one, the world. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's another, the devil, and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and that's the third enemy of our soul, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Okay, amazing. We talked about grace last week, so I'm not going to go back into that. But Paul here is talking about in one section, three enemies of the soul. And I know I'm going to sound like this old Baptist preacher. The enemies of the soul are the devil, the world, and the flesh. But those actually come from Scripture. In fact, they come from Paul himself here. In one paragraph, Paul talks about all three of these enemies. He says, when you followed the ways of the world, so the world's trying to press in on us. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, or the devil, and gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, the flesh. Paul's saying here that these are three enemies of the soul. So there's this fight 
inside and outside of our body, between heaven and hell, there's, there's this fight between the desires of the flesh and the desire of this world and the desires of Satan and the desires of, of God. Paul says we don't fight against flesh and blood. And even though we like to get worked up about what's happening in society, you know, like government systems and ideologies, those are just the symptoms. Paul here is really relating to us what the true enemies are. And they're an access of enemies that are, are brought to us to destroy our soul. You see, the enemy's strategy is quite simple. He plants deceptive ideas that appeal to our flesh desires and then normalizes them in sinful society. You know, basically makes it, this is normal, you know, plants these ideas that appeal to the base flesh desires and then begins to normalize them in society. The devil, the flesh, and the world. Flesh is biblically defined as cravings or sinful passions or corrupt desires. But if you like, just put it all into one. It's really self-gratification. You see, the world and the Bible have two very different worldviews. Uh, you know, the world's worldview started actually not that long ago, but, but it was with Freud and, and that human beings have these strong desires. In other words, we're animals that are run by instinctual desires for pleasure. And when we repress these desires that we have naturally, we suffer. That's the world's view. We shouldn't repress. We should live out any desire we want. We should live out any identity we want to live. We should live exactly the way we want. But the Bible says something different, that we have these deeper desires. And the Bible's view of the world would say this, that human beings are image bearers of God himself, that we're made in the image of God, and we're created in love to love God and to love other people. And we, we walk away from these higher and deeper desires, that's when we suffer. See, two competing worldviews. They're, they're incompatible with, with each other. You see, now we in society take the standards of the Bible and, and we say that they're oppressive rather than than being words of life, words of freedom. And the contrast that we see happening in society is growing starker and starker. You see, in society, the self becomes God and our own desires become God. And to deny those desires is the greatest harm we could do, even though that's the very thing that Jesus calls us to do, no? He says this, to deny ourselves and follow him, not to like meet every desire that we have. No, he says to, den to deny ourselves and to follow him. But the world has these sort of sayings, you know, they're mantras for the world. Be true to yourself. The heart wants what it wants. You do you. This is basically the world's propaganda. Give in to your desires. But Paul says here that what we ought to want is just the opposite. He says we used to be like that. We used to give in to those desires. We used to live in the ways of the world. But but that's not who we are anymore. You see, we're multifaceted people. We're not like... Um, 
binary, that's two. Anyways, I'm gonna get confused if I even try to go there. We're multifaceted, <laughs> sorry. Sometimes my, my mouth is greater than my intelligence, you know. Anyways, we're multifaceted people. And our momentary strongest desires aren't always our best, deepest desires. Let me say that again. Our momentary strongest desires aren't always our best, deepest desires. I have a deep desire to have a body like Chris Hemsworth. I have a deep desire for that, but I have a stronger desire to eat the double cheeseburger with bacon when it comes around. <laughs> That's a stronger desire. It's not my deepest desire. And as Christians, our deepest desire is to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength with, with all that we are. And Paul's saying we're called to something different. We're called to live out of those deeper desires, not the strong desires that want to rule us, not the, the world, not the flesh, not the, the devil or the enemy. Verse 3 says this, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Paul says we used to live like that, but something's changed in us now. Something's different about us. But what is that? Verses 4 and 5 say this. This is the answer. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in transgressions. He made us alive in Christ. He brought us spiritually alive. He, he moves us from the flesh to the spirit, and we now live by the spirit who indwells us rather than by the cravings of the flesh. And I think that's what Paul means when he says in Galatians 5.1, and I'm going to read it again. I read it last week, but let me read it again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. For freedom, we can't lose sight of that. that that's a, a key verse right there. Underline it, meditate on it, think, think on it. That's our positioning. Christ has set us free, and that's why it says stand firm. That's the power of, of putting this word in us and, and hinging on the word of God constantly. And, and I was thinking about that. Even, I love to read biographies, and John Newton, of all people, you know he wrote the amazing song, Amazing Grace, which almost everyone knows, interesting enough. But he was a slave trader, and when his life had transformed, I actually read in his biography that he had a verse that he wrote on a post-it on a little piece of paper, and he put it in his most frequented room, and it was Deuteronomy 15, 15, and he would speak it aloud. Every morning he woke up, it says this, Thou shalt remember that thou was a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God redeemed me. What irony. He was a slave trader, and he realized that I'm going to remember that I was a slave, but my Lord's redeemed me. 
It's for freedom. Stand firm then. And so that's why sometimes we're at such a pace that we don't stop and just let the Lord try to teach us something, let something sink into us. How many times do we say, what was I doing? What was I doing? Or we've got so much anxiety or worry because we're on to tomorrow. And the Lord says, I've told you never to worry about tomorrow. It has enough trouble of its own. I've told you just to be in today or the enemy will steal you today. So in this position, I know that I know that I know that I'm set free because I believe now. And I died and was risen again with Christ. And that's why baptism is so significant. And guess what? We're having one next week. So if, if that's something that you want to do, come talk to me. I have a young woman that I'm going to baptize, maybe in the lake, maybe in a hot tub. Who knows? You'll have to come celebrate with us. Celebrate. Okay, let's move on. Positioning. We're going to move now. What are we, what are we free into? What are we free into? Well, we're called to be free. Let's see. Verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So as I was thinking about this, even this week, I had the opportunity to meet an amazing gentleman, a distinguished man, and spend some time with him and his wife. Been through so much together. And as I was just pondering his life and asking some deeper questions, and the man is so respected, not only in our country, it was an honor to sit with him. But he has such a love for the Lord, and you can see that sometimes in the little things could see it in the way him and his wife respected each other and loved each other at the table. It was astounding. But as he just opened a little bit of his life to me out of love, I stood and, and I looked at, at this picture and articles on his wall, just in quietness, again, not walking ahead, just trying to capture the moment. And I'm blown away. This happened 10 days ago. That I look a little closer at this picture that intrigues me of war and what it looks like to stand firm one guy next to this tank. But I go a little bit further and his own memo, memo to self. Sometimes I need to be prepared to stand alone. Stand firm. And then he has Galatians 5, 1. You gotta be kidding. You gotta be kidding. I just started bawling. I was there by myself. Because I believe with all my heart the Lord is doing something in our body, our church body right now, that is bringing people together in ways that we can't even explain. And some of you are nodding your head going, uh huh. And some of you haven't really ventured back in, but have been. Uh, been walking with us through all of COVID, through everything, constantly online, and, and God's saying, I want to do something more with you, and He's calling us to be free. And what does that look like in this statement here? Our call to freedom is what? To serve one another in love. Huh. To love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how freedom 
and love are intimately connected there. Do you see that? I want to, I want to break down this stronghold that uh, Roger showed of the, the spirit at the, in, in the world to show us what freedom in Christ looks like. It's love. Freedom results in love. Free people, if you see free people, you know what? They love and they serve. They love and they serve. They're free because they know how much they're loved. And I was thinking in my own journey, how often do I just stand firm and just say, Lord, thank you for my salvation. I'm saved. I have all of Christ in me. I have all of him in me. If you believe and, and you're walking with Christ, you have all of Christ in you. And so the question then comes, I have all of him, but does he have all of me? Hmm. Well, what do I mean? Well, we take our position and now we begin to practice. And Paul doesn't leave it there. Paul spends all his time in his letters to to almost all the churches with this principle. He starts off with the beginning just saying, all we have in Christ and, and praise be to God who saved us and blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And then he goes on how to walk this out, how to live this t tangibly, because he knows that we're all going to struggle so much so that he, he's writing the letter in Galatians. Remember Galatians 2, he says that he comes down to Peter one-on-one. -on -one. He's like, due to a revelation, he brings in Titus, who's a convert that's that's uncircumcised. He's like bringing him in as proof. And he says that some spies infiltrated our, our, our troop, our church, to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves again. Have you thought of this for a minute? Because that age-old issue is always a scheme of the enemy. He wants to steal our freedom. He wants to enslave us again. He wants to bring us back, back to our own ways and, and put this heavy yoke on us that, that isn't ours to bear. The Lord says, come to me and take my yoke. It's easy and it's light and you'll find rest for your what? For your soul soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So let's see how, how this is going to happen. Verse 16. So I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if, there's the if, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then if you just skip down to verse 25 there, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I want you to see this aspect of walking. There's this being led. Jesus says when he's calling his disciples, follow me, follow me. He wants to lead us. So it's, it's not on you. It's on us to, to listen, to follow, and to walk by being able to be led. So these two are in con conflict with each other. I want you to, to, to really understand this in verse 17. Because sometimes we think the flesh and the spirit, they work together in our lives. But Paul reminds us that's impossible. It's impossible. They're opposed to each other. They're two different perspectives. 
with different goals and they lead to different out outcomes. The flesh. Flesh have a, has a mind of its own. In Romans 8, it says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile. It also says that the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Therefore, the access point is where? Right here, my mind. Ephesians 4 says, you're taught in this new way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind, putting on the new self that's created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. So there's this, you always, 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 daily, maybe on the minute, come to this crossroads of this war within the battle zone. So, so often we think the battle is all out there. It's actually right here in me. You know how you see that little cartoon where you've got the devil on one shoulder and the little angel on the other? I know it's just a cartoon. But this is the conflict that you're going to come across all the time. And how do we deal with it? I want you to give you a very vivid picture of it. Because if you can start to understand this and start to give room for the Spirit, joining His hand in this, He will help you. He's a helper. He's an advocate. He's a counselor. But you have to give Him access. He's a gentleman and He's gracious. And He will not override your will. So your will is your choice and you need to decide who you're going to move with. And I know it sounds crazy, but some of you will remember this because it's so crazy. Flesh, if I'm looking at it backwards in the wrong perspective, but if I drop the AH, which is him, the helper, if I drop that because I don't need that and I'm turning towards flesh, my desires, myself, it actually reads backwards self, S-E-L-F. And some of you are like, oh, that's silly. Some of you will never forget that. Self, I can choose what I want because there's lots of things I want. But the Lord's saying, that's not good for you. I want to pull you out. Why? Because there's more freedom over here. Do you realize conviction actually opens me up for more freedom? If I'm willing to listen to it, that's a powerful thought in that I'm enslaved somewhere and something's being convicted in me. My conscience is being quickened by the Holy Spirit to try to pull me out into more freedom. So that doesn't pull me back in and waste, waste efforts, waste anxieties, waste money. And, and sin destroys my life. It destroys my relationships and it destroys my body. And so it's almost like this battle. Picture this, this boxing ring of the will, willful wayward self in blue, okay? However many pounds that is of yourself, okay? And then you've got in another corner, you've got red. You've got the Spirit of God. And what we are in our new birth. And the bell rings. And they're going at each other and you need to decide, you need to come to a conclusion. Well, they're both consumed with victory. They're both fierce and intense conflict. They both hate each other. You're like, well, that's a bit aggressive. Uh-uh. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. The Holy Spirit wants to set you free. He wants to stop allowing us to keep giving our own carnal flesh its, 
traction and he wants to put that to death, crucifying it with its desires and its evil thoughts. They're not friendly competitors and they both have the intent of beating the living daylights out of the other. There's this continue irreconceivable uh, war that's at work in you. Do you hear me on that? It's a constant battle that will come up all the time. You know why? Because we're in this flesh, but the more and more we let the Spirit lead us, He'll pull us out. And so what happens in that moment, one of the greatest things you can do on that moment, and you will feel that. We're going to look at the mirror here to know exactly what that looks like. You, you don't need to guess. But you need to pray. Something like, Lord, I need your help. I'm trusting you to enable me to do what you want me to do because I want to please you. Because it's not even going to seem good and you want what you want, like what Roger said in the world. But somehow I need you to help me. I need you to empower me. I need you to enable me. Holy Spirit, help me. Amos 3 says this, Do two walk together, 3-3. Three, three. Do two walk together unless they agreed to do so. Think of that. Can we walk together unless I tell you that we're going to go this way or we're going to go this way? Well, we need to agree. That's why the analogy of walking is powerful. The Lord wants to walk with us. He wants to go. He wants to lead us into new things. But we have to agree. Where does that agreement come? That comes with submitting your will. Submitting your will. And so the blue, the self, the flesh, the works of the flesh, he goes on to list out here. And this is where, this is a mirror for us, even this week. Here's, here's a free counseling lesson. Like the Word of God is able to teach you, to equip you, to correct you, to train you in righteousness, right? So, so let's see if this can train my soul and what it's going to do if I'm honest and you have to be true. Look in the mirror and let this read you because Galatians 5.19 is now going to say, these are the acts of the flesh. He's going to list them out. See, when I read this list, wherever I find myself in here, this means I'm enslaved somehow. The enemy's got me somewhere. So let's take a look at it. Like, think about that. You're like, oh, I'm free, I'm free. But are you? Because here's the list. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition. Look at that selfish ambition that's enslaved you. I want to be the best. I want to do better. I want to, I want to outbeat that. I want to, I can do that. I can do that. Anything that we're going to measure and count, I want to, I need to see this many clients and I need to do, well, what happens if you don't? Then you feel like, oh, I just lost my joy because I didn't measure up or, or we got to measure this and measure this. And you're, you're calculating on the grid of the world, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What a statement. 
well, what does that mean, Carrie? They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's not only in this life, which the kingdom of God in Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if your joy is gone and your peace is gone, and maybe you're not doing the right thing, because Christ will only move in righteousness. He wants to move us in the right way for everything in life. He wants what's good and pleasing and perfect, but we doubt that. And also in the life to come, Colossians 3.24 We will give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. And so when I look at this list, and, and so let's just say, why, why am I having a fits, fits of rage? Oh my goodness, in there. Fits of rage everywhere. Why? And so here's the self-check that we need to allow the Holy Spirit, because He's gentle and gracious. He's not going to be like hitting you or driving you. He wants to lead you out. Why am I having a fit of rage? Just check yourself. What is it that is bothering me? What do I want that I don't have? Something in your will was overrun. But perhaps if I just submit to the Lord, He'll give me peace to be like, I see, I know. Or envy. And so there's a contrast here. That's one side. And that's going to lead you circling. And yeah, you think, oh, but that looks so much fun. Listen, it will rob you, it will suck your life from you. The joy of freedom, the joy of what Christ wants to do. You end up finding yourself enslaved going back into the same track, hiding, isolating, isolating, being pulled off into something that's meaningless when Christ is like, come, come this way. And what does His look like? This is it. This is the the other. But the fruit, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. You see that? Those are acts and those are works. But this is a fruit of the Spirit. is love and joy and peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, I want you to think of this for a minute. First of all, it's fruit of the Spirit. Not you. Fruit. Fruit. Of Christ in us. It takes time. You see a tree or a vine, it takes time until it can bear some fruit, but it needs to get rooted, it needs to be nourished, so that it can start bearing this fruit. The Spirit of God is not barren, it's full of life. And when He starts to manifest in you and begin to lead you into newness, He begins to bear this fruit through you. And how is it seen? It's seen by this. Love. Joy. You see a patient person. That's Christ bearing fruit through that individual. Fruit's the character of Christ. You begin to see Christ. So it's different than gifts. So often we get all caught up in wanting all the gifts. Listen, we all have this ability to bear so much fruit, becoming more and more Christ-like. Fruit is meant to be given to nourish people. Think of this. Think of all the light and love in every piece of fruit. Light that grows that fruit. It's not there for me to pick it. Can I pick it and eat it? No, it's there for others to love one another. So they might need some, some joy. They might need some peace. They might need some gentleness. 
And so they take it and they begin to eat of this nourishment, this heavenly nourishment. It tastes so good. It gives them some hope. Like there's something different happening here. And so this begins to grow in our lives with seeds in every fruit that wants to begin to multiply. Be fruitful and multiply, the Lord says. And all of a sudden, it's quite evident to see, it goes back to what the Lord said. If you bear much fruit, this will be to my Father's glory that you do this. Proving yourself to be my disciple, Jesus said. You'll know them by their fruit. Fruit. It's evidence that we're walking and living with the, the Spirit of God indwelt within us. So Jesus came full of truth and grace and he lived among us and he tabernacled among us. And now the Holy Spirit lives within us. He's made his home in us and we become this, this tent and this tabernacle that we talked about. And he wants to bring joy and peace and love so that people want to be around those people don't you don't you don't have you thought about who does who comes to mind when you think of that a patient loving joyous self-controlled person well what does it look like it might look a little bit like this like someone who shows grace to everyone Someone who brings peace rather than division in, in an argument. You begin to become patient with people who are driving you crazy. You're kind to everyone even when you're hurt by them. You do good to people you don't even know. You can be counted on by your friends and your family. And you avoid doing things you really want to do, but you know it would hurt someone self-control and that aspect of faithfulness the faithfulness that is so necessary in today's society when I, I see our marriages of, of long years it's so awesome you know why? because we get to a spot now where, when we're fully seen and known and we, everyone sees our rough edges, we just want to cut that off and divide and get something new but the faithfulness that sees us at our worst and loves us still is so Christ-like. For when we were at our worst, Christ died for us. He sees us. He knows us. And that love begins to be manifested by Christ. It begins to grow through us. So it's almost, you question yourself to be like, Lord, did you really want to do that through me? Imagine, imagine your home has the mat out front that says, rather than welcome friends, it says welcome enemies. That's crazy. Imagine, welcome enemies. What the Lord tells us to, like that's part of our issue right now in society is we only want to love the gathering that's like us. And this is where this issue started in Galatians is Peter too, and we're all susceptible to it. Because if Peter is, so are we. Peter had been pulled off into a group. Again, fear of man or what people will say to, to sit with the same like-minded people, the Jewish people. And Paul opposed him 
but very graciously. People like to think it was a feud. No, if you look at it, he went to the leaders, the council in Jerusalem, Acts 15, and he goes to them in love. He pre presents Titus. And what happens when he talks to Peter? Do you realize that even Barnabas was led astray in this? This is how powerful this can be when we start to put these little bubbles up and these silos and these divisions, these lines, these lines. Christ has no lines. He gives the Spirit without limits. And He says, I, I want you to love everyone, even your enemies. You know why? Because people can't understand it. They see me in you. And so when we live by the Spirit, that last verse, verse 25, we keep in step with Him. So what does that mean for you and I today? Isn't it interesting? He says, we just keep in step. We don't need to get ahead of God. Step is just a, a moment by moment, daily walk. He's got us. He loves us. And He wants to love others through us. Living by the Spirit means we love freely. All that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 6 says, that's it. If you want to count something, that's what counts. Faith expressing itself through love. And so our love for God is played out in our love for people. And so often we can say, well, I just, I, I don't want to sin, I don't want to sin, so I just need to isolate myself and, and then I can sin less and have less envy. But the Lord's not saying that the goal of the Christian life is to avoid sin. He's saying the goal of our lives is to love. And so I can focus all my energies in just not committing adultery and not entertaining that at all with Roger. But I could also at the same time be cold and impatient and be angry and never have joy. And he would never feel loved. And so I'm convicted regularly in my life to come to that crossroads and say, Christ, I need you to lead, to lead me, to love to love, to love extravagantly, to, to find you that your joy would be made known and your peace would be made known. And loving freely means loving people with differences. And the more and more we can step across those boundaries that the world's put in us, the more and more extravagant the love of Christ is displayed as fruit, as harvest, that's beauty to the eyes, good to the taste, wonderful to the smell. The very thing that He's created for us. So as we go out and celebrate this weekend, I want you to just invite the Lord to open your mind again to ways that you can love and show love and maybe it's just by the faithfulness of your marriage and coming back and enjoying dinner and just being thankful. 
this weekend, just being thankful. Maybe it's setting up a fort with your grandkids and getting in there and just having joy with them and a peace that in the middle of the turmoil of, of a divorce or separation that the Lord's got us and His tabernacle is going to create love. Or maybe it's grandparents that say, you know what, let's invite another couple over and let's just celebrate with them and enjoy a meal together. And maybe it's some of you just going crazy and building a sukkot out in the backyard and opening your arms and your hands and your home and your family and loving the next generation and anyone and everyone that will come. And I'm telling you, it's been an absolute joy to witness this happening in our very midst. Oh, that so much more would come. Let me pray, Father. It's through the power of your Spirit, Lord, that we here sit here to remember all you've done for us and all you want to do continually through us until we sit at the wedding feast with you and enjoy, enjoy the decadence of a feast that will just overwhelm us. But for now, Father, I ask that you would enable us now, that you would empower us, that you would help us walk daily, that we would let go, that we would deny self, and that we would pick up our cross, taking our position, and follow you, follow you, that we'd walk with you, that we'd be led by you, that we would cross boundaries to love because of the love you've given us. So we just say thank you. Thank you. We love you. In the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ.